Well, good morning. Delighted that you could join us this morning. Let me just start by telling you something going on at the moment. You know, for a long time, I've been thinking about slightly extending our driveway so that we can get another car on the front when people visit us. On the other side of our drive, there's quite a steep bank and I've often just thought about leveling it off and creating a bit of space. And this crazy time that we're in at the moment, it hasn't given me more time. If anything, it's given me less, but I just fancied getting on with it. And so um, I started the work, our neighbors were also having some work done and the tradesman they were using was trying to convince me to let him do it, for him to give me a quote. And on realizing that I wanted to do it myself, he then tried to just convince me to allow him to quote for the materials, which again, he realized I was actually quite up for putting the time and the research in to doing it myself. And the area has is under some trees so even when it was raining uh, not that it ever rains in Manchester but I was like I can just crack on there's a dry area and I've, I've dug this huge hole massive hole for the foundations of it and um, with it being on a slope it's the area was just soft soil before so I need knew that I needed to dig a really good foundation to stop it collapsing and so I dug down to the clay which is quite a depth down and whilst I was digging um, one neighbour spent a good half hour, at least half an hour, whilst I was digging away in the background, um, trying to convince me that I didn't need to dig a foundation. He's like, just whack a few stones down on top of the soil, you know, look at mine, it'll be fine. And I'm looking at his thinking, hmm, I'm not sure it will be fine. Um, he's like, I don't know why you're putting all this effort into it. No one's ever going to see it. No one's ever going to know. It's going to be way quicker and way cheaper. Just whack a few loose stones on top of the soil. Whilst he was doing that and then he'd gone in, my other neighbour pops out. And he's trying to chat with me about the football. His, his wife's away with work and he's like trying to update me on all the scores and games that I'm missing. And um, throughout this whole thing, I've, I actually quite enjoyed myself, if I'm honest, digging the hole. It wasn't pain-free. Uh, my knees and my back were killing me. I've shifted a good couple of tons of soil and I've put in a border and got a good foundation and getting the stones on top and all of this. Admittedly, no one other than my two neighbours actually are ever really going to know or see the time or effort that I've put in. Uh, but I'm pretty confident now you could park a tank on it, let alone a car, and all should be well. But with each shovel of soil that I dug, I pondered this talk and this series. I've been doing a series called Rise Up, which if you've missed it, I'd encourage you to catch up on. Uh, we've been walking through this new series called Rise Up, which are based on some of the language we used in the vision talk. We've said for us to rise up individually and collectively, for us to be all that God has called us to be, to step into the fullness of all that God has for us. There is so much ahead for us as a church if we will rise up and we'll take our place. And I kind of want to pose the question today. What does it look like below the waterline? For each of us in different ways, this pandemic will have brought a shake. Not realizing maybe how or in what way, but for so many of us. You know, some initially realizing, uh, or not realizing, sorry, that it was hard. And then the longer it went on, the harder it got. The implications on so many areas of our life and aspects of our emotional, spiritual, and social well-being. You know, what's it like under the waterline? 
at the moment? How's your faith? How do you function without the rhythm of a gathered church environment in, in a Sunday like now or in small group? What does worship look like when it's not corporate and it's not led? What do your relationships look like and how best are they functioning when you can't see people in the way that you used to? How valued do you feel by your employer? Where does your mind wander when others are not there in the same way to help keep you on track? How do you process pain, frustration and loss? What do you do when everyone else is thinking differently and living differently to maybe the way you're comfortable with? Why are you often feeling slightly on the edge, flat, or just out having these out-of-the-norm experiences and responses? They're all questions that I've heard some of you ask, and yet there are so many more as well. For us to rise up, we've got to pay attention to what's below the waterline. There are so many competing voices for what's below the waterline and the depth of your discipleship. You know, my neighbour saying, why would you bother with the foundation? So much effort for something nobody else is going to see. It can be so tempting to take these little shortcuts in life. Hey, what, what do, how does it really matter how you live, what you think about, what you do with your time, what you do with your money, how you treat people, how much you read your Bible? What does it really matter? It'd be a lot easier maybe even a lot cheaper, a lot less costly, just to do something superficial and live on a surface level. You know, my other neighbour then just distracting me with a thing that often I'd rather do and rather talk about. There's always something competing or distracting us, placing a demand on our time and our attention, and it can often seem easier or more desirable. It would often require less work than the tradesman offering to do it for me. You know, I believe we can't farm out our discipleship. No one else can do this for us. No one else can put the graft in on our behalf. Do you see what I'm saying? Because what is below the waterline affects what is above the waterline. The basic forces that create or reduce the stability are the same for any vessel. Stability is often determined by the force of the buoyancy provided by the underwater parts of the vessel. Coupled with that, the combined weight of its hull, the equipment, the fuel, the stores, the load, whatever it might be. It's often the parts that others don't see, the parts of our lives that we don't put on show. And at times, personally, maybe we pay way less attention to that often have the greatest impact on our lives. It's the habits, the rhythms, the investments, the discipline of our discipleship journey. And I wondered what it might be like for us this morning just to reflect on a few principles that Jesus lived by to help us evaluate our own. I'm going to look at 10. Don't panic, they're going to be pretty quick fire. But here's just 10 life principles that I believe we can see in the Gospels and we'd do well to learn from and to hold them up as a mirror in our own lives as we consider what is below the waterline for ourselves. Some of you might identify with some of them more than others but I'd encourage you grab hold of at least a couple of them and see how they might challenge you and shape you as we seek to make an investment in our growth. So here's the, here's the first one. Life is serving. Matthew 20, 25 says this, but Jesus called them together and said, 
you know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people and officials flaunt their authority over, over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be a servant. And whoever wants to be first must become the slave. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and give his life as a ransom for many. You see, our priority is serving. Is that our heart? Is that our default? Is that our go-to? Often I think we want to be served, to have our needs, wants and desires met. Serving can be costly, but Jesus says among us it should be different. That's going to need an adjustment for us for what's below the waterline. Putting aside personal desires and pride and ambition to focus on others. So easy to say but so hard to do. It takes a real moment of reflection to hold a mirror up to our lives and to our desires. Jesus shared this in the context of the disciples arguing about who was the greatest. How easy can it be to fall into that trap? The other disciples were upset with James and John for trying to grab the top positions. Jesus describes life from a new perspective. Instead of using people, he says we're to serve them. Jesus' mission was to serve others and to give his life away. Jesus taught them that the greatest person in God's kingdom is the servant of all. Servants appreciate others' worth and realise that they're not above any job. What's that look like? To not be above any job. You know, if we, if we were to peer into our hearts, is that the response that would be found? A life principle is that life is for serving. The second one, our purpose should be, be prioritised in our life. Our purpose should be prioritised in our life. So what is our purpose? Matthew 6, 33, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. Luke 19, 10, for the son of man came to seek and save those who were lost. John 17, 4, I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Jesus prioritised his purpose. He put it front and centre. I can often prioritise my distractions. That's often how I work. Do you know what I'm saying? Have you ever done that? Do you often live like that? I can get lost in my own world. The thing that we think is the thing becomes the thing. It can become the all-encompassing and the all-consuming. What if everything below and therefore the impact of everything above the waterline was filtered through those passages? Seek first the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who were lost. I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work that you gave me to do. What if that was the filter and that was the mandate and the purpose through which we lived by? The third one, live the life yourself. John 14, 11, just believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe because of the work you have seen me do. I've said it before, but we can't serve what we're not cooking. We've got to be people that get to Jesus ourselves and actually live the life ourselves. The context of this passage is that Philip is trying to work out who Jesus is. This is not the time to fake it till you make it. This has never been a performance thing. Or wear your Sunday best. Come and say the right thing. 
Honestly, what does it look like for us? What is below the waterline? I believe this is a time where we could bring greater revelation and clarity to our walk with Jesus as we grab hold of him and we surrender to him. The fourth one, impact comes from relationship, not position. That's what we see in the Gospels. That's what we see Jesus live out. Luke 9, 6, so they began their circuit of the villages, preaching the good news and healing the sick. The disciples were busy doing the kingdom thing. At times within that, they wrestled about which one of them, as I mentioned a moment ago, a moment ago was better or greater. Have you found the pandemic has wobbled your identity because your job has changed, because your worth or your role in your family has changed, because your ability to do something or to make something happen has changed, your identity or security in the church has changed. Literally, the rug has been pulled from under your feet. Well, this is a great moment to address that, to allow this to be a leveller and to realign your heart, to allow a drive or a need for position or the identity that comes from that or the control that is found in that to be replaced with relationship. Relationship with him, relationship with each other and a relationship to love and serve the city because Jesus consistently taught that relationship is the priority and position should not factor. So anything that gives you a supposed leg up or advantage over someone else actually is best leveled anyway. And this is a good time to look beneath the waterline and to address that. The fifth one, I'm rattling through these, but the fifth one, we must replenish ourselves. Mark 1:35. before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. Later, Simon and the others went out to find him. When they found him, they said, everyone's looking for you. But Jesus replied, we must go on to other towns as well, and I will preach to them too. That's why I came. He knew his purpose. But in the context of replenishment, are you replenished or exhausted? Are you shaped by your diary, the news, your emotions, or are you shaped by the Father? And therefore, when did you last spend time with him? When did you last go to him? Do you go for a need or you, do you go just to sit at his feet and listen? Does he hear more of you or do you hear more of him? Do you see what I'm saying? We need to seek not just his hand of provision, but his face as we worship him. I know I have to be replenished. I leak. Often our life rhythms have changed. They really have changed in this last number of months, but I can't therefore just roll on as I was. I have to ensure that I'm spending time with him in a way that is replenishing. I know you know this, but can I just spell this out for us? I'm, I'm not just talking about sitting around and faking something. I'm not just talking about sitting around and us singing Kumbaya. I'm talking about how do you best engage with Jesus. Steph and I regularly sit out with a chimney. Why? Because that works for us. It replenishes us. I think best when I'm eating cake and I'm poking or jabbing a log that's on fire with an old stick that I've acquired off an old firework. That's just how my mind works. And in those times we reflect and we chat and we ponder and we consider and we explore more of Jesus and how we might want to shape us. It's not, it's not the only way, but it is one way that we keep ourselves re refreshed 
and replenished and are sensitive to the Holy Spirit and seek to listen to his voice and rather than just fill life with our demands and our thoughts. Have you considered it? How are you replenished? What do you need to do? What does that look like? Are you regularly replenished? The sixth one, following Jesus calls for commitment. Mark 8, 34, then calling the crowd to join his disciples, he said, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake or for the sake of the good news, you will save it. I was reflecting on this this week and um, I was reflecting on a number of things that we're not an attractional church we, we aren't you know we we aren't trying to do loads of things to make you think that we're top of the pile we, we couldn't if we tried but even if we could we wouldn't want to but the, the mission we're on is not an attractive one you know without the pandemic I don't think it's an attractive one hey come and join us in an area in the city with some of the greatest need, in a building that we don't own, as a people that are still forming, seek to welcome people and give away with generosity to those that will never give back to us, predominantly seeking to serve those that can't repay us, and um, asking them to join us and to do similar in a way that others won't repay them. I mean, it's not a particularly attractive offer, is it? But the passage says we've got to turn from our selfish ways, take up our cross and follow him, rather than hang on to your life to give it up. Jesus calls us to commitment. Joining his church calls for commitment. I don't need to remind you, but loving his people calls for commitment. As we exist for those who are yet to join us, it calls for commitment. Doing the, all that he's asked us to do calls for commitment. If we peer below the waterline, are we developing the trait of commitment in a culture that would rather keep options open, that often responds best to the fear of missing out, and to develop regular accountable relationships in a culture that is becoming and where that's becoming an alien concept. Jesus calls us to commitment. What does that look like? Have we reviewed that, reflected on that, considered that? How's that look in our lives in a place that maybe no one always sees? The seventh one, be secure when handling tough situations. Luke 20, 21. Teacher, they said, we know that you speak and teach what is right and are not influenced by what others think. You teach the way of God truthfully. Now tell us, is it right for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? He saw through their trickery and said, show me a Roman coin whose picture and title are stamped on it. And he went on. Well, you know, one way we will wobble. One way that the enemy will consistently seek to try and trip us up is through insecurity. The best way to deal with our insecurity is to live in security. Often our insecurities surface when we feel trapped or threatened, as we feel inferior or vulnerable in our social or spiritual or relational standing with others. It's a trap. And Jesus was the master. We see it in the passage that I just read. He was the master at holding the tension whilst drawing the outcome to be one that brought honour and glory to God. How do we handle tough situations and relational dynamics? 
we'd do well to, to evaluate our security in him. What does that look like for you? Below the surface line, in the place that often others don't see or know about, because I believe that is one thing that can quite easily trip us up, and we want to we wanna find our security in him. The eighth one, credibility comes through meeting needs and solving problems. Luke 5, 12, in one of the villages, Jesus met a man with an advanced case of leprosy. When the man saw Jesus, he bowed his face to the ground, begging to be healed. Lord, he said, if you're willing, you can heal me and make me clean. Jesus reached out and touched him and said, I am willing. He said, be healed. And instantly the leprosy disappeared. How willing are we? to act and respond to the needs of others. It's a really good temperature check of what's happening under the surface. It's what we're called to do and to be, and so it's a trait that we're growing in our hunger, our passion, and our desire to live it out. A selfless heart, a longing to heart to hear, to know, to understand, and not just think about to know about, but actually to do something about, to give our lives in the surface, the service of others, meeting needs and solving problems. The ninth one, we choose to invest and develop others. It kind of flows on from the previous one. Mark 3, 14, then he appointed 12 of them and called them to be his apostles. They were accompanying him and he would send them out to preach, giving them authority to cast out demons. Our assessment of growth and our development should be measured against the backdrop of who and how and to who are we giving it away. Our job isn't to produce more followers, but leaders and disciples to invest and to raise people. You know, it troubles me greatly, quite deeply, when I look around and I find people attaching themselves to me. I want them to attach to Jesus. If they're attaching to me, they're seeing strength in me that actually isn't mine because it's his. And I'm taking glory for something that isn't me. Actually, it's him. Because really, I'm, I'm weak and I'm broken without him. What shines through the cracks is the all-surpassing glory which is his. Therefore our lives are spent on turning people to see him and we choose to invest and develop others who then go on to do likewise. So what's it like for us to consider that, to rise up beyond ourselves and beyond our circumstances and invest and develop others? That's what we're called to, that's the people we're supposed to be, that's what we're supposed to be producing below the waterline. To do that we've got to live in a place of security. The tenth, the final one, there is no success without a successor. Matthew 28 verse 20, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. We aren't trying to be or to do something, we're trying to pass it on. Have you ever watched the baton passed on in a relay race? You know, that section of the track where the baton is actually being passed on, the vulnerability, each of them trying to stay in their lane to pass it on within a certain length of the track, trying to coordinate, coordinate with each other the speed and the timing. It's very similar thing that should be going on in our discipleship. It's not easy. It's vulnerable, it's costly, we are a business, we're investing in sons and daughters, parents and grandparents, we, we are raising, releasing and investing, that's the people we are and often we slip into thinking sometimes if it's not checked that it, it's about us and it's our time, well it, it's, it's really not, it's about others and theirs until actually they see enough and realise enough, it's not even theirs, what we're given 
we aren't given to keep, we're given to give it away. And it's only as we give it away that we see that it's multiplied. Have, have you ever reviewed what you're digging? How does it look? What is it for? What is it dependent on? It's often the part that others don't see, the part of our lives that often we don't put on show. And at times, personally, we may pay less attention to that can have the greatest impact on our lives. It's the habits, the rhythms, the investments, and the discipline of our discipleship journey. And as we reflect on a few of the principles Jesus lived by and taught, how does that change and how does that shape us and ours as we seek to make an investment in our growth? Because that's the people we're called to be. And that's what's going to cause us to rise up as we take that look and play that part in the consideration of what it is like beneath the waterline. I trust that's helpful to you this morning. But why don't we pray? Spirit of God, we welcome you now.